This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to The World According to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what makes them tick, with me, Fanula, and me, Rebecca. In this episode, we talk to Maggie Lynn about her role as the Witchfinder General Data Visualization Intern. suitably Halloween-y theme to wrap up our third season with. I am excited uh, to find out more about this. The interview was great um, and I'm definitely interested in in getting into when it launches properly. I'm definitely getting interested in getting into the weeds of it uh, because I'm more of the witch rather than witch finder side of things. (laughs) I think having spoken to Maggie, I think all the interns would feel the same. They would be inclined to be more interested in in the witches and what happened to them rather than the, the old witch finders. <laughs> yeah. This is the spookiest of seasons and this interview is a suitably spooky interview. On that note, are you a fan of ghost stories, Rebecca? Isn't, isn't everyone? As a teenager, I definitely went through that period of reading a lot of ghost stories, especially Irish ones. I love how many places... We have an Ireland that vive for the most haunted place in Ireland. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of terrified to watch Darby O'Gill and the Little People just because of that. There's one scene in it. It's quite terrifying. Um, and also, you know, there's a lot of woods near where I grew up that you would want to be a little bit, you know. There's always, you know, the stories of if you hop around a certain tower seven times backwards, then the devil will appear to you. Or if I think in Kilkenny Castle, if you don't touch the table no if you touch the table in the main hall and don't then hop around the courtyard backwards then your soul is doomed or something to that effect i can't quite remember they used to tell us that when we were kids there on a, a school tour my favorite one was uh was a castle near Paulstown in, in the county kilkenny so on the road between carlo and, and kilkenny and um supposedly there was some butler who was wronged by the family and you know i, I can't remember if he's 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 killed he dies anyway i can't remember if he's you know, hanged for a crime or something like that. But then he um, he says that, you know, these gates will never close. You you know, you'll never be rid of me. And then you see the gates as you go by and they just walled up the bottom section of them. So yeah. that settled his hash for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never close the gate, eh? Ah. <laughs> we just get rid of the gate. The gate was not closed. It was just, yeah, rendered useless. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot of, in, in Irish history, or not in Irish history, but in Irish folklore, there's a lot of, stories uh, that are kind of spooky in nature. The one that I heard about most recently, which I hadn't encountered before, was the hungry grass, which is a thing from back in in the, the famine era sort of developed where the grass would, if you walked off the road into the grass, the grass would pull you down and and eat you. If you know what I mean, it was the hungry grass. And I was never, I'd never heard that one before. And it is appearing in certain D&D campaigns going forward because that is, I mean, I know it's horrific, but also not too dissimilar from like Willow the Wisp, like the idea that yeah. you wouldn't go onto boglands because similarly you could just, you know, disappear down a bog hole. I think it kind of has similar kind of connotations yeah. to that. 
Um, yeah. The favorite, my favorite, I've only really written one spooky related Wikipedia article, which is Maura Rua O'Brien. And she's associated with Limna Castle in County County Clare. And she's one of these people who she was she was a strong woman, so all this kind of mythology built up around her that she was, you know, particularly evil and conniving mm-hmm. and like killed a bunch of her husbands, was married some phenomenal amount of times. And um one of the stories is that she's sealed into a hollow tree. Uh that's that's how she dies. Um none of which of course is true, wow. but all wonderful. Wonderfully fantastic, yeah. So we'll yeah. link to that article. Uh, it gets it's probably one of the ones that attracts the most kind of interesting vandalism. Okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and also, of course, in in a nod to the more recently departed Angela Lansbury, there is obviously uh, famous episodes of Murder She Wrote, which are set in a castle in Ireland, which have a background spooky story, which turns out to not be the case. The the real murder kind of thing is is a person but there's a kind of a nice nod to Irish you know castle folklore there as well and a very proud holder of Irish citizenship Angela was and lived lived in County Cork for quite a number of years so I think yes. that also inspired uh, inspired those episodes So in less spooky uh, things, my favourite podcast is going back. I mean, obviously, no, clarify that. This is obviously my favourite podcast. But my other favourite podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, uh, Spice Bag, is coming back shortly. And uh, they have a new kind of promo thing, which we're just going to play for you now. But also, you should just listen to the Spice Bag because it's a really good podcast about food and food in Ireland. And Irish spooky food? I don't know if there's spooky food. Maybe there's barn brack and banshee bones. <gasps> I got my barn brack. Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll use this as a. We will link uh, to the article on barn brack. <laughs> we will link to the. I got my barn brack because uh, I get it from home. I get it delivered up to me, and it is so good. In Halloween doesn't doesn't start until we have barn brack in the house, and it does have a ring in it. Um, it doesn't have anything else. It doesn't have any of the other things, traditional Halloweeny things in it, but it does have a ring in it. So yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever encountered a barn brack that actually had the assorted other items in it, like the penny and is it like a stick? And there's a, a stick. There's a pea, I think. Yes, and there's a rag, not a rag, but a kind of a piece of cloth and other. Yeah, there's about six things I think that can go into a traditional brack, but most people just go with the ring because all of the other ones are a bit weird. Also, you want a fairly, you want a fairly sizable brack. To conceal <laughs> yeah, all the things, all those you know? things. <laughs> I mean, I do believe that my aunt used to put a penny and a ring in, but like that's yeah, back in the day. The award-winning Spice Bags podcast is back with season four. You can expect the same mix of staple chats with me, Dee Laffin, Blanca Valencia, and Machin, and deep dives into countries' cuisines, conversations with people from the international community of food in Ireland. Look forward to listening to episodes about shopping, about cakes, Argentina, Nigeria, plus an episode to celebrate the launch of our cookbook, Blast Books Soup. So tune in to us wherever you access your podcasts or Headstuff Podcast I'm not going to ask because I like I'm not even sure there are rules Hey look I did start this whole section off many many moons ago by saying that technically Wikipedia has no rules 
but we do love a bit of um, guidance or clarification mm. or narrative. Mm. Okay, then. What's the rule? <laughs> now, this is a common canard, depending on you know whatever industry or institution you work in. But on Wikipedia, you don't have to be mad to work here, but it helps. <sighs> is that a rule? No. No, that is not a rule. That is not even... What what even is that? Well, yes, okay, you've caught me out. It is a humorous essay, uh, like the essays we spoke about a few episodes ago. But it's one that really did speak to me. Um, I, you know, I worked in the museum world, and they were definitely also a crowd that would tell you, like, if you don't start off mad working here, you will become mad working here. And I think there is an element of truth that to that to Wikipedia. There's kind of just a hint of hint of strange that helps you get on uh, with your fellow Wikipedians mm. and get on with the project. But I, we will link to this one because this one I really liked because it's kind of written as a little bit of fantasy. So you're not, you know, it starts off with the Alice in Wonderland quote, which is, I think, is the one that kind of prompts all of these ideas. The idea is that, you know, the Cheshire Cat asks, you know, Alice if she is mad. He says, you must be. Otherwise, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't have come here. So you have to be yes. mad to start off here. So there's the Hall of Content the cavern of links, the corridor of categories, the mine of gnomes, the chamber of frames, the cave of the obsessed, the pit of vandals, the furnace of disputation, and the ice of the two-faced. So, ice of the two-faced. Ooh, those names are good. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, it's not a rule, and I'm going to come put my foot down here and say that I, we're done. We're done with this because. There, there are no more rules. We have, we have reached the end of the Wikipedia rules, and now we're just onto Wikipedia trivia, which I'm fine with. I'm totally fine with Wikipedia trivia, but let's not like, let's not call them rules. They're not rules. You don't have like, it's not a mandate that you have to be mad to edit Wikipedia. It's just that you won't, you know. So no, it's not a rule, but it's a nice piece of trivia. Gonna go with that. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with a slice of Wikipedia from here on in. How about that? That that works. That works. That will help. Okay, I'm I'm fine with that. Next season, slice of Wikipedia, or insert other inspiration that that occurs to me in the intervening time. Or if anybody out there has a suggestion, what is something that you'd like to hear about Wikipedia every uh, every episode? Yeah. Answers on a postcard slash tweet. Tweet is probably the best. We're now going to hear from Maggie Lynn, who was an intern in the Witchfinder General Data Visualization Project at the University of Edinburgh. There are some computer and other atmospheric noises featured in this interview. Um, hi, I'm Maggie and I'm a fourth year computer science student at the University of Edinburgh. Um, I've just recently completed my summer internship at the University's Information Services as the Scottish Witchcraft Data Visualization Intern. Um, thank you for having me. Delighted to have you. Thank you so much. Um, so, how did you how did you first hear about the project? Um, I had an email from the university, and I mean, I saw Scottish witchcraft. And I was like, I am applying right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the uni, the information services have well this year. I think they had around fifty interns and um, working on all sorts of different things in the uni. Um, and yeah, they have like, a commitment to become. They're trying to become the data capital of Europe and um, so 
it was I think it was quite important for them to have some um working with real world data data sets, which um we're working with the survey of Scottish Witchcraft database, which is amazing. <laughs> it's just like so incredibly rich in detail. So how did you how did you feel about becoming one of you know the University of Edinburgh's witch finders general as they've become become known? Yeah, I mean it's it's a good thing to have in the CV. <laughs> um but it was amazing to be able to contribute to the project and be able to expand on the work of Emma. Um, and she had completed an internship. She was that actually the witch finder general because she was the one who found like the, the ge- geographical locations of the residents of the witches using um using the survey and also it's like historic maps and stuff. Um and what we were trying to do with the internship now is to kind of expand on her work and like explore different stories in the data like different narratives and so we added a lot more information about the cases um, and um, all sorts of interesting things. Yeah and we'll add uh, Emma has been interviewed and has spoken about her work so we'll add some some links in the the show notes so um so that her initial work as you say kind of ArcGIS uh, type work so we'll we'll give that a shout out. So what is so you talked a little bit about your role so in the second phase so you're focusing on kind of relationships and some more kind of storytelling within the data set. Yeah definitely um because there's already a lot of the witches site right now um is still the one that is live currently is still the one that um Emma and um Richard created um however many years ago um but we're still working on the um getting the current website we're there's still some tweaks and stuff we have to do but um yeah the we expanded the amount of data that from the survey that we wanted to visualize so we added information about like the witch's case characteristics, um, witch's meeting places, what went down in the meetings, devil appearances, demonic packs, like ritual objects, all sorts of things that weren't in and um, had been visualized before. And this like this data that um the data, the survey of Scottish witchcraft um that Julian Goodare created with um Louise Yeoman and the to research here, hi, who I forget their names, um, but we are, we're working with the data and putting it on Wikidata so that the, the data is open source and um, people can be able to like kind of be able to critique like what we've done so they can see where all the information is from. Yeah, so we add a lot of data um, on who mentioned who in the trials as well, um, as, as the witches would be encouraged and and even tortured um well most of them were tortured to denounce other people as witches and we also add the data on the people involved and how they were involved so all sorts of things um were added to Wikidata which we which was kind of the first stage of um the project um, and after the data processing stage we kind of got into the visualization so we mapped out the case characteristics um and before it was a lot of geographical data um but we added a lot more like, temporal data as well so um a lot of the witches and their trials and their case their cases of investigation and um, were visualized temp through space and time and not just the geographical locations and um we also did some network visualizations of the people involved and who mentioned who kind of thing but yeah there's a lot that still um to be added but i worked with um uh 
student intern web developer as well, um, Joseph, and he was amazing. Like he was working on kind of making a website look nicer and um, some of the visualizations as well. So yeah, he couldn't be here today, but yeah, it was it was great to work with um, Ewan and um, and Joseph as well. I suppose that this project in particular is is based on open access, so mm-hmm. openly accessible data. Yeah. Is this your first time working with a, an open data set, or how, how, has it changed how you feel maybe about open access and and how how important it could be? Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it was. I think it's one of the first times I've worked with. Um, I'm, yeah, I guess. And um, yeah, the, I mean, open access is a reason why the project works so well. Like the data is originally stored in a Microsoft Access database, and it's it's open to everyone to access. But it's kind of um, it's kind of hard to you know like get that get the database, and it, there is like a website that you can kind of go through. Um, but we when Emma did her work, um, I, I think it was very important to kind of like get the stories that were sitting static in the database out for people who maybe aren't historians to be able to see and um like open access well we kind of just put all the data onto wikidata and yeah i think it's really important to open up the scholarship to a wider audience as well um because a lot of people wouldn't know about this this all this information like this this survey is incredible like it going through it there's so many tables i can't remember i was a lot of data to work with um and we kind of chose what we wanted, what we thought was relevant and what we want to visualise. And we put that onto Wikidata so people can see on Wikidata using like this the Wikidata structure to kind of see what we put on there. Um, and it's all, all of our visualisations, well, most of them use data pulled from queries from Wikidata. So um, it's very, yeah, it's been really good to use open access data so in your blog and we'll, we'll link to that as well documenting the internship yourself and, and joseph and the work that you're doing in those first few weeks you did a crash course in wikidata and editing wikipedia uh-huh. was there anything particularly that stood out for you that was really interesting that you learned or something that kind of surprised you about that process um, yeah i mean i'm never i've never really heard of wikidata but i've seen it in passing like if i was searching for something with wikipedia like it, it could be there but i had never really known what it was so the crash course i learned everything <laughs> um and yeah it was i had no idea of the possibilities of wikidata but i i think the thing i liked most was the querying because like wikidata is this giant data structure with thousands of contributors and I think it's so I think it's so cool to be able to query for what you want and be able to see like all the contributions of different people that they put into um with data. And I think the linked structure, so we've put in information about um Scottish witchcraft, but on the same on the same like with data, there's information about like cats and all sorts of random things. And I think it's um I think it's pretty cool. Um I, I think the structure is pretty neat as well. Like I like how everything that is a thing is an item. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I'm quite like a, a nerd for like a good, nice structure. So um, it was nice to work with. Um, but yeah, after the internship, I had around like 20,000 edits. So um, yeah, it was, we did a lot of processing onto Wikidata. 
that's very impressive. It took me <laughs> took me a few years to get to ten thousand edits on Wikidata. It is much quicker than uh, Wikipedia and the other sites. But yeah, yeah. Still, twenty thousand edits is very impressive in a short time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was processing every day, <laughs> day and night. <laughs> <laughs> definitely deserve a few barn stars uh, for that. So yeah, talking about I suppose up- uploading those, those those edits that you made. Mm-hmm. How did you um, approach uploading the data to Wikidata? Um. Well, well, I always say I am an open, refined, super fan. I love it. Like I know a lot of people. I think you and my manager. He was a big fan. He's a big fan of quick statements, but I never, I can never really get into it. Um. But. Yeah, I pretty much just use OpenRefine to do the bulk processing, but um, we had to be careful of how we structured the data um, because obviously we wanted to keep the database structure, but also we had to work with the constraints of Wikidata because um, in on Wikidata, like, as you know, you can't like just specify any random property you want. Um, if you want like a new property, you have to put in a proposal and have the Wikidatans approve or deny. Um, so and some of the historical data was quite it's quite hard to fit in with the properties so we actually we did uh, have a property proposal for ritual object um, which was approved and the rest of it we kind of had to fit the properties into the Wikidata structure so using qualifiers mostly to kind of get the information into shape <laughs> Fantastic. I like the idea that you have a new a new property as well. So ritual object is something that yeah. maybe it did exist on Wikidata, but it wasn't being described. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Be um, interesting to see whether there's more ritual objects will appear now that there is a property. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and appearances of the devil um, and things like that. So was there any particular interesting which finding, which mapping or which linking um, facts that you found out kind of looking at the data um, um, that you'd like to share? Yeah, um, I mean, it was a lot. I've I read I read a couple of um, a couple of, of books um, by Julian Gadare, and what I didn't know before was um, like one of the most common witch tests in Scotland was known as witch pricking. And this involved pricking the skin of suspected witches um, with a needle. And if it didn't hurt or bleed when it was pierced, it was deemed a sign of the devil's mark. Um, and that was accounted as absolute proof that the suspect was a witch. And yeah, there was all, all sorts of different methods that they'd use. Um, and a lot of the torture would cause they were encouraged, a lot of the witches were encouraged to name more witches. So um, one of the visualizations you can see just from witch to witch, like there was one, I can't remember his name, but there was one accused witch who was a child and he had he had accused, I think like 40 people or something. It was it was crazy. It was, and it's very sad because obviously um you they wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to do that if you weren't being tortured pretty much yeah and also to think of a child in that position yeah. of course yeah. they're going to name everybody that they know yeah um, Very yeah and you could also you know kind of I know you wrote about this in one of your blog posts about kind of the misogyny that was just kind yeah, of definitely built in. Um, I think it, it's a, it is a big part of the witch trials unfortunately um I think 75% of roughly were women I could be making that figure up don't quote me on that um um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a, a lot of it was you'd be accused due to 
um, like family disputes and obviously like in the home like the woman and and traditionally back in the day um, would be like in charge of the home and there was a lot of like neighbourly disputes that caused accusations. It's it's very interesting Um, and it was actually like written in in law like um, King James he was um, he kind of started all the witch hunts I'm not sure if he started the first one but there was a big one the North Berwick witch trials um King James was actually like a big part of that and he um he actually made it kind of like he it, it was it was in the law that um oh, I'm trying to remember um that there was like can they they create like commissions to um to find the witches to kind of go to places and um kind of suss out if there's like witches in the area and it was all yeah there was a big fear for um witchcraft back then as well yeah <laughs> sorry i went on front <laughs> no 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 yeah. i think it, i think it is interesting the 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 systems that were put in place mm-hmm. to allow it because you could imagine if it's happening especially in a rural area mm-hmm. it would probably peter out yeah you know it would self-extinguish after a while but if you have a whole um, system that's looking to sustain itself uh-huh. and i think um east lothian was completely the the hub um there was a lot um there was a lot of um acute accusations in the east lothian area which is interesting because that's where i live <laughs> you see the place in a whole different way <laughs> That's, yeah yeah it's it's inter- it's fascinating from an Irish perspective because for some reason it didn't uh, really take off in Ireland there wasn't yeah language. yeah yeah so we just kind of it's it's a strange kind of distant phenomena um yeah. which we don't have too many of those really in these aisles you know usually uh-huh. there's a bit of common yeah um, the Scottish and um, witch hunts were very well documented as well um a lot of it was in Kirk sessions like um Kirk like church records um and yeah, they were. It was quite well documented, which is why we have such a amazing um, resource of the Scotch witch trial of, of the witch hunts um, that um, Julian and Louise um, created. Because I mean, I've looked at the sources of um, of the information database, and there's just so much. So I <laughs> I don't um, <laughs> I can't even imagine having a task kind of go through it all so yeah it's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah and to know so much about especially women's lives yeah. from that period of time to know their names and where they were from and mm-hmm. the associations that they had it's quite it's quite an unusual yeah. um yeah because yeah they were I think it's easy in hundreds of years after to kind of forget that they were actually humans and they all had stories and they all had lives just like us um, and I mean, if we were in that time, I'd be terrified, honestly. But yeah, it, like, I think that's a big part of the project is kind of getting the voices of, I mean, the voices of these witches out there and kind of raising awareness of what happened um, because it's not um, it's not okay. And I think I think it was Nicola Sturgeon having she um, she I think there was like a posthumous pardon of some witches um, and I think yeah that was a, a big step um, because yeah like the government and the king was a big part of it back then as well. Yeah. It was systemic yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So has has this project and working on this 
uh, has it prompted you? Do you think you'll be drawn to kind of similar similar work in the future? Has it kind of changed yeah. where where you see yourself going? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I it was a lot working with data. I thought was very interesting. Um, I mean, I'm applying to internships now and um, for next summer, so I've been applying to a lot of data data related ones. Um, but I think this this one is quite unique um, in terms of the content. Um, but yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm quite. I'm very busy right now <laughs> with uni, but I'm just <laughs> trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to make my way. Eyes in the prize at yeah, this point, and exactly. finally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to have to. I, I don't know if this is putting you on the spot, but with seeing as you created the property for ritual objects, what 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 were ritual objects like? What what was referred to? Were they really mundane household items, or were they kind of really weird? There was, there was, I think there was a big variety. Um, I can actually get a look now. There was, there were some of them which you would expect. Like one of them was like shears, and then they also have, yeah. There's, I mean, I'm looking at Isabel Gaudi's, and you've got liver, toad, like wax image, herbs, water, thread, grain, nail trimmings. So it is quite. I think there are quite like traditionally witchy things. Um. And yeah, here I see flesh and cadaver. <laughs> um, oh wow! Yes, but it's all this is all that she has been accused of, and um, yes. that which has been accused of. So um, realistically, I don't know. She was, <laughs> she was and also things that her nails or something. Yeah, but also probably things that were used in kind of folk medicine and yeah, yeah, you know, kind of sympathetic magic and and uh-huh. that sort of thinking. You know, yeah, um, you can see where that kind of correlation comes in. That that's really interesting. I'll have to do a bit of a. I'm really excited when the new website goes up. Yes, uh, yeah. so we'll we will definitely share that with our with our listeners as well. It's. I think it'll be soonish that it's being excellent. It's alive, but I'm not actually sure. Um, just some final like data checking and um, make sure everything's right because I think it's very important um, that we it's very important that we don't misrepresent the data um, because that would probably be the worst. <laughs> um, so the do the academics have a, a kind of an active role? Oh yes, yeah. Um, Excellent. So we um, we throughout the whole process we spoke to um, Julie Gadare who was one of the creators of the survey. And yeah, he kept us right. And if we wanted to structure like something in Wikidata, we would talk to him. Um, and yeah, like if we were ever confused about what, what like some of the terminology was, um, yeah, he was he was really amazing, um, really helpful for this project. And yeah, I hope I hope it I hope what we have done with it is, you know, is what in line of what he kind of thinks historically. <laughs> And it just shows you that even though it's open access and obviously the yeah. data is there to be used, there there's a relationship as well. Like it's not like it just yeah. kind of disappears into the, the internet ether and the original data kind of wranglers are left, you know, yeah. un, unapproached. Yeah. I think that's really, it's really, really wonderful to see. Is there anything about the project that you wanted to mention or anything about your experiences before we finish up? Anything you didn't get to say? Yeah, no, I just wanted to just like say like this project would be, happening if it wasn't for like um obviously Julian and Louise but also my manager Ewan like he kept me right and um Joseph doing all the web stuff so yeah it's it's been, it's been really amazing and I think I've learned a lot um and yeah it's, it's been great
that was very interesting. And we put the whole interview into the podcast because we felt like you deserved it, people. This is our last episode of the season and you deserve the whole interview. Uh, it was really good. I enjoyed that. Take it as our Halloween treat. No trick. <laughs> <laughs> Though the, it was wonderful to talk to Maggie. Um, so this is, this, as she mentioned, this is the second round of interns that have worked on this particular data set. So Emma, who um, I'll throw in a few links in the show notes um, for interviews with Emma, who worked on it originally a couple of years ago. Um, and Ewan has kind of overseen it uh, in the interim. And it's just, it's fantastic to see people getting a chance to take part in an internship and have kind of a meaningful output at the end, something they can really stand over and say, we did that, mm-hmm. um, especially kind of early on in their in their careers. And for both Emma and Maggie, neither of them have studied history. So they're kind of coming to it, you know, from a computer science and Emma came from a like an, a geography, geology point of view. So that's why she was doing the localization and things like that. So it's just wonderful to see people kind of being multidisciplinary so early on as well. So they don't just have to think yeah. computer science doesn't have to, you know, can't interact with humanities. To see that interaction early on is fabulous. Yeah, and also to get that um, introduction to Wikidata at a stage where you, you're you young enough, or early enough in your career that you know the, the benefit of it. Like you're not learning it late on, you know, halfway through your PhD or something. You've got that before you. You, you go there so you know where there's a bank of data or in fact how to use or call or visualize from that bank of data as well, which is is really good. Um, and she has her own kind of node. Maggie has her own kind of node thing added to Wikidata with the ritual object, which is a fascinating like you'd have imagined there would have been a ritual object in there already, given that there are so many ritual objects in the world. But there wasn't. And now there is. So, yeah, it's really good. It was brilliant. I, I, you know, thinking about the kind of data sets that do tend to turn up in Wikidata, an awful lot of them are, I won't say dry, but they tend to be kind of, I suppose, a little bit procedural. We've had Jan mm. on talking about kind of, you know, creating Wikidata items for EU, legi- you know, for legislation and policy and things like that. And there's a lot of people turn up. So a lot of, you know, people who are in historic biographies or people who are featured in a particular database. So there's a lot of like, people, places and uh, but I think things yeah. in that kind of that space between where people interact with each other or perhaps, you know, you know, that kind of creation, that kind of, I suppose, that interaction piece perhaps isn't as well documented in that very kind of specific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Historical, ritualistic way. Yeah. And also the the types of ritual object is like toenails and things like, you know, things that are just around, like you're kind of, you know, th- these are not ritual objects. These are just you know, person may have been well, clipping as, their nails on the day. Like what? As Maggie <laughs> pointed out, like cadavers, like that that's just yeah. an accusation. Like there, yeah. there's no sense that there was much truth to an awful lot yeah. of these things. Uh, and as we were discussing kind of beforehand, especially the people who were charged with, you know, it was their job to find mm-hmm. witches. That the motivation is obviously there to, you know, incite and seek out. Yeah. And people then leveraging the the witch finding then to, you know, exact revenge on each other or um, people who've been slighted or people who didn't, you know, feuds and things like that. So you can see where all of that would just kind of spiral. Whereas, or yeah, if it happened, it's kind of in isolation. Poor young boy. Like, it's obviously going to, like, oh, so sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the humanization piece yeah. was really interesting. 
yeah. you know, to yeah. actually think of these people as individuals kind of caught up in this in the system as well. So if you want to hear more interviews like that with our guests, possibly not all about witches, but, you know, good interviews with our other guests, uh, you can get the full interviews, which will be up there at some point in the next month or so uh, to at, on the Headstuff Plus network. So you can go to headstuffpodcast.com and sign up there. And if you join the community, you get access to all of the other uh, podcasts and all of their bonus material. And it is five euro a month plus fat. So headstuffpodcast.com, sign up there and give us your support. Thank you very much. This episode, we have a very suitable celebration for the interview that we just had. Wikidata is 10 years old. Woohoo! So on the 29th of October, Wikidata will be 10. And in the past week, it has surpassed a million items. Arouse. Amazing work by the community. Yeah, so all those ritual objects and those various kind of, you know, interactions between the people within uh, the project that we were just talking about are counted within that million, which is wonderful. So groups, affiliates and chapters from all around the world will be celebrating this birthday with virtual and in-person events, no doubt with Wikidata themed cakes, cupcakes, balloons and all sorts of suitable decorations. Amazing. No, because I briefly toyed with Wikidata back in the day when I was making some visualizations of uh Ireland, um the Wikiloves monuments. monuments. Yeah. Um and it's very like it's a very easy thing to once you once you get the, the SQL language, the what is it called? Sparkle. Sparkle. Yeah. Sparkle language down. Uh it's a, it's a very nice and easy kind of way to pull data and you get a lot of solid information from it so I'm, I'm very happy that it's around still 10 years old it's only going to get bigger god those servers <laughs> well in but the yeah. meantime lots more tools have been developed so mm. those of us who are not so uh coding friendly there's lots of nice smooth um interactions that you can have with Wikidata, lots of nice visualizations that have been done. So we have the Witchfinder General is a really nice example of that. Also, the Welsh Dictionary of Biography has a lovely timeline, which will then pull in images that are oh, um, nice. that are featured in Wikipedia articles. So you can then search for, you know, women artists and it'll, it'll populate a timeline for you. So there's really nice usage of Wikidata. And obviously, we use it quite a lot here in Ireland for our photography projects um, yes. for Wiki Loves Monuments and, and Wiki Loves Earth. So it is, I think it's only kind of been scratched, I think, on the surface as to how powerful um, Wikidata is. And I think the more people interact with it within their careers, within their education, I think we're going to see a lot more very interesting work being done with it in the next 10 years. That was The World According to Wikipedia. This was a final episode of season three. So join us again in a few months. I'm not entirely certain when for season four. But in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice and listen to back episodes. We're amazing. You can listen to them several times over. Always new, interesting things in there. You can follow us at, on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and to Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes, more information and to support the Headstuff Plus network. You can follow me at Ickel underscore Tato on Twitter. And be at Restless Curator. Ooh. Ooh. Ah.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 